You're listening to Inside You with Michael Rosenbaum. Ryan's with me. Ryan, how are you? My new engineer. I'm good, Michael. Yeah. Thanks for thanks for having me. Yeah, and by the way, you know, uh, you know, Rob, I think a lot of people knew Rob. He was uh, my engineer for quite some time. But, uh, you know, Rob got really busy, and he's, he's doing great, and we're good friends. And, you know, he helps me out when I need him. And uh, he wasn't fired. <laughs> um, you know, he's, uh, he's been working on my good buddy Dax's show and that kind of get You know, Dax, is, it's a very busy show. They travel. They do all these things. And we're on good terms. I love him. I wish him the best. I wish Dax the best. Uh, Dax is one of my best friends. And... Uh, Everything's great, but I have Ryan here, so say hello, Ryan. Hello. There you go, folks. A man of many words. Ryan, I just thought you were a great guy, and we were having art night at my house, because, you know, from my therapy, I like I do this art night. Yeah, it's been fun. Right? Yeah. And and you, you guys come, you and Amanda, and uh, we have a really nice time, and then I started thinking, and you were talking, I was like, well, I could use an engineer, because Mia does in love, and I didn't want to have the same engineer for both shows. Mm-hmm. And you just have a good, you know, disposition, if you will. I don't know. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, you seem, you're a humble guy, right? Yeah. So anyway, I'm grateful you're here. And uh, today we've got a great show. I want to say thank you again for listening to the podcast, folks. I know you're driving to work or whatever you're doing. Uh, it means a lot. You know that. Please subscribe or tell people to subscribe. We're growing. We need you. The new podcast is called In Love with Michael Rosenbaum and Chris Sullivan. You know it from This Is Us. He was just nominated for an Emmy. He's amazing. And... The show's a lot of fun, too. We've got a lot of great guests, so please subscribe and write a review for that. It really helps us. We're just getting started with that one. My guest today, we're about to get inside of Corey Feldman. Uh, you probably think you know everything about him, but you don't. What did you find mo- most interesting? Oh, with Corey? Yeah, without giving too much away. <laughs> um, he is, uh, well, he's, he's very passionate about what he's doing. Um, and he's in, I didn't know, I didn't know a lot of things about him. You know, I'd, I'd seen the movies. Um, I, of course, you know, I'd heard about the reality show. So I had, you know, some assumptions coming in. I never thought I'd be sitting on a couch next to Corey Feldman. So this was just a lot of good information for me. Yeah. Because you know, you're younger than me. What are you? Thirties? 31. 31. So you missed that whole thing of the eighties where, you know, I obviously still am living it mm-hmm. with my music and everything else. But what I liked about today's uh, interview is we talked about things, some crazy shit that happened when he was young, crazy shit that happened on sets, uh, working with Spielberg, working with Richard Donner, working with Schumacher, talked about Corey Haim. We just touched a lot of, of different things, and we get pretty deep. And uh, I, I'm, I'm very grateful that Corey came on, and he was so open. His wife, Courtney, was lovely. She was here. Uh, I think you're going to enjoy this. Let's get inside Corey Feldman. It's my point of view. Listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. What are you drinking? Watermelon juice. And what's that good for, my brother? Hardcore shiat. It's good for your shitting? Well, it is, actually. It is? Yes, yes. It does definitely help give you lots of uh, fiber. Yeah. Watermelon juice. Yeah. Isn't there too much? Can't you, like, you know, when you're a kid, you just want to eat watermelon and you get a stomachache? That looks like a large glass of stomachache. You ache. know what? Let me tell you something. Rumors and myths, my friend. Rumors and myths. Really? You can you're never fine. have, you can, oh, yeah. You can never have too much good stuff. How much, how many glasses you can of have watermelon a lot of bad juice stuff, do you have? And that can hurt you, but you can never have too much good stuff. That's true. So, watermelon is a fairly harmless fruit, aside from, you know, 
it may give you a little gas or it may give you a Ooh, little, you know, good. little extra, really a little extra loosening of the uh, stools. Are you but, a gassy uh, person? No. 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 I am. So that's why I can do it because it yeah. doesn't really, you know, have a toll on me. But that said, uh, we are all about juicing and my wife is a uh, Whole Foods raw nutritionist. Really? Yeah. Courtney, so. who's here with you? She's yeah. a health coach. This is what she does for a living. She actually yes. teaches people how to live on whole foods, plant-based diets. Yeah. Listen, I'm I'm agreeing with you because I finally got a nutritionist after two years. Ryan does not have a nutritionist, correct, Ryan? Uh, no, correct. Not a chance. Not a chance. But uh, I just felt like shit all the time. I was bloated. I was farting people out of the room. They weren't <laughs> smelly. I'm not a smelly farter. In fact, I went to a colonoscopist. Is that what you call them? Yeah, a colonoscopy, yes. Pist? Well, a col- <laughs> I, I would think that it would be more of an anal doctor. How about we call him uh, a doctor? Gas, okay, yeah, that's that's pretty much gastrointestinal. There, there, there you go. Yeah. See, yeah, good. Thank well God done. for you. Well, well done. You don't need any of that. All you really need to do is drink 16 ounces of celery juice on an empty stomach every day, and that will help. Yes. This Majorly. is already worth it. Yes. This podcast is already worth it. Let me tell you something. Telling you something, this is the miracle cure of the day. Celery juice. Celery juice. I've heard a lot about that. Right? Yeah. It's everybody's doing it in LA. In fact, it's hard to get celery because it's out of sale. It's out of stock everywhere. It's like literally you go and you buy bunches of it. And so like they keep like raising the price and raising the price because the demand is so high. And the reason why the demand is so high is because everybody is doing this right now. Let me let me tell you something. A lot of people, my listeners, so this is, you know, it's called inside. So you ask, you know, where does this reach? This is a very loyal following. You know, I could tell you after how many listeners, but it's a lot of listeners. At, very least, at least two or three. Well, you know what? Oh, my gosh. At least a handful. Okay, but, you cool. know, they're so loyal. And it really, this this podcast, I've no, I noticed it really helps people's lives. Like, I get emails that are just these heartfelt, like this, you know, hearing someone open up about, you know, Jennifer Love Hewitt or Kristen Bell or talking about their life and talking about, like, real shit. And... Mm. So that's sort of what the podcast is. You know, Sean Aston got you to do it. We were at a con. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I'd love you to do it. And you were like, you know, Sean says I should do it because you like Sean and you trust him and you've known him a long time. Yeah. Well, Sean's like one of my closest friends yeah. ever. And we were brothers till the end, you know. So when he says, oh, yeah, Michael's a good guy. You got to do his show, man. He's, oh, no, he's the best. He's the best. <laughs> he said no, that. Yeah, is what he said. And he goes, he goes, and he says, he's got a huge following. By the way, he said, let me tell you, man, I did a show and for like literally like months, months afterwards, people come up to me and say, oh, man, I heard you on Michael's show. Da, 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 he da, talked da. about his mother's mental health, her like yeah. bipolar and like manic and just was so open and honest. And, you know, I'm getting to that, but that's sort of that's what the show is about. But the the you know, the Hollywood thing, my listeners who are listening right now are going, oh, here he goes with the Hollywood, like juicing and like because I talk about shit. I didn't do any of this until this two months Hollywood. ago. This is called but living well. I know. But, you know, you're you right. don't have to be in Hollywood to do that's, it. That's that's exactly right. And I'm telling you, proofs in the pudding. And I was someone who was against it. I didn't want to do it. And then I started eating healthy, taking things out of my diet. I don't even touch dairy. No bloating anymore. Yeah, Amazing, imagine right? that. Amazing. Well, I do a little bit of dairy. I'm like a 80% uh, lavo, octo, vegetarian, vegan. They call vegan. it lacto-ovo, so he does do milk and eggs as well. But the uh, thing is, I've been a vegetarian since I was 12 years old. You really haven't touched meat since you're 12, 12 years, years old. old. Is that true? Yeah. What was the last thing you ate? A chicken McNugget. Well, that was a good thing to go. Like, you're like, I'm out now. <laughs> I, I, I cheated. That. I cheated on a chicken McNugget. Did you throw so up? That's why I remember it. 
Uh, no, but I just remember really feeling disgusting afterwards. Like Physically? It really, yeah, it was just like, oh, why did I do that? I can't believe I did that. That's so gross. And then that was it. And that was when I was 13. Now, what's amazing is you've, you know, you think, because you've had like, this is another thing. Today, I was thinking about how do we, how do I sort of navigate the waters here? Um, on Corey Feldman, there's no waters to navigate. Here's the, but here, here it's the it, floodgates. Once they open, then they just open. But I, you know what, though, <laughs> I, I was like, you know what, I don't think because look, you've been in the media, you've written a book, have. you have a band, Are you've you been sure? in tons of movies. You've I don't been, know about any of you've this been, you're talking about. You, you, <laughs> you've been praised, guy? you've been slammed, you've yeah. been thrown around, and you still stick it out. And I was like, going, well, everybody's talking about this and this. And I go, you know, I just I, what I want to do is. I want to talk to you mm-hmm. sort of just about your life and like, you know, having such a, I mean, you talked about a lot of this stuff, but there are moments in your life that I think make you, you know, they're, they're significant things that happen to us, bad or good, that change the, the course of your life. The things that I'm doing right now are the things that are going to identify who I become and my place in history forever, for perpetuity, because what I'm doing now is significant. And what I'm doing now is, is the most important work that I've ever done because it's fighting for children's rights and it's fighting for truth and justice to prevail on this earth. Something Lex Luthor should know a lot about. (laughs) (laughs) How dare you? How dare you? But truthfully, I mean, it's, it's, you know, there's nobody out there doing it. Nobody out there did it. So when I jumped in this game and I made this decision that I was going to really not just come forward with the truth, but help change the laws so that we can put these dudes away, that's a big part of it. But the other part of it is the awareness and making people own this. People need to own this. I think that's important what you you said, because especially like on this podcast, we talk about mental illness, we talk about anxiety, depression, all these things. There's nothing more mentally deranged than wanting to hurt a child. There's nothing worse. There's nothing worse at all. So I think that's what people really, they, they want to hear people being honest, opening up. And so as a child... You look at your career, and I'm like, oh, my God, I've seen him in that. Oh, my God, I love that. I love that. I love Stand By Me. I love Talking Goonies. I love Lost Boys. I love it. Friday the 13th, Chapter chapter 4. But I'm, see, none of that means anything I, I know you're going to say that, but let me say <laughs> okay, it. Does, it does mean a lot to your fans of and people who grew up and with that. I love that. my fans, of and course I respect you do. that. But that doesn't mean that I sit there on some high horse and go, oh, yeah, yeah, I did this and that. Like, screw that. Of course, but that's like stepping stones. It's all stepping stones. But the real work is what I'm doing today. And and even as far as my acting, the real work is what I'm doing today. Because as a kid, yes, I did a fine job doing what I had to do. But I was a trained monkey. I was a child slave. So I was doing what I was literally trained to do my whole life. Talk about that. I don't know anything From the beginning, like when you say you don't know anything else... Was it hard? To... <laughs> like, I mean, I don't know anything else. Like, uh, my first memory. Have you read his book? Yeah, I, I did not. Re- I will yeah, read. You it. should. You, you read should it. read it. Yeah. The, Choreography. Yes. Yes. The, the 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 point is, is that I have no memory before going to work. The first memory I have in my life is going to my first commercial, and everything beyond that is based on my career. My career was the signature of time. 
So like, you know, most people go, oh, what girl were you dating in this, you know, grade or what, what, who was your best friend during this year or what team were you playing on? Or, you know, these different markers that people have in their lives of like, this is where I was, or this is who I was. Don't have that. All I have is what movie was I working on? What TV show was I working on? What thing was I doing in the public eye? You don't remember at all? Your parents, you know, some nice, I remember thing, them. some nice things that happened. No nice well, things. No, no nice things. No you nice never things. experienced like going to Disney World as a child. Um, yeah, well, I did because my sister was a Mouseketeer. So, yes, I went to Disneyland all the time as a child. But we were were they kind to you, work. your parents? No, they were terrible people. So it was just about get them a job. How, how did they know you were uh, you were good enough or that you were? Well, my sister, my sister was doing it first. So she was already a star. And did she feel the same shit that you felt? Yeah, but it was different. There wasn't as much pressure, you know. She wasn't um, living up to anything. Like for me, I had to beat my sister. That was the game, right? Like I had to. It was do a competition, of course. And it wasn't a friendly competition. No, it was my parents put us, you know, pitted us against each other, you know. So how we, do they do that? Well, because they say, you know, well, she's going to get, you know, she won't get beaten today, and she's going to get an extra toy because she did well and she got her audition. When you say beaten, you since you were like a little kid, that shit was going on? Yeah. Yeah. I was locked in a room. Okay, first of all, people don't realize they ask me how I became a singer. And I tell people the truth of the matter is I was singing before I was acting. Because when you're three years old, you can't memorize lines. You know, you're not reading a script because you can't read yet. So how do you get a three-year-old to convince people that they're the ones for the role? So my mom was smart enough to say, well, he likes music. His dad's a musician. So we're going to lock him in a room. We're going to make him learn these songs. And then he's going to go in on auditions and he's going to sing for them. And his cuteness is what's going to win them over. So it didn't really matter if I could remember a line or not because I could do this song and I could sound cute doing it, right? So that's all that mattered. So she would have me memorize these songs and I would go in and that would be my audition process and I would win the jobs by singing. So that's actually how I started my career. Jesus. Yeah. So everything is just, it's just work. Put on a happy face. You were just that going, was one of the do you songs. you feel like you were going through the motions? Do you even know what, like at the time I can't even, what, what excited you? Did you feel like there was, I mean, besides being on a movie set, was there anything else? Was there was there like a good teacher or a good yeah, some good people yeah. that kind of helped you along the way yeah, that said, course. "Hey, you are loved. You are." Well, I don't know about love necessarily. Love was a very empty, a very empty slot in my world until, I mean, I had great grandparents. So let me give you that. Like, I were had, they older or the, yeah, they were, were they old. great? No, no, no. Were they, they great, were, great, great? No, they were wonderful <laughs> grandparents. Right. Like, I, I did too. Were, yeah. Fantastic. They were the best. I mean, my grandfather was a psycho and he abused his children, which is why my mom was abusive. It's, you know, it's handed down generation, generation, but he loved his, his family more than anything. So he had the traditions and he had the, the morality, but he was just raised in an, you know, an era where that's what you did. You went crazy on your kids and you beat the hell out of them. And that's all he knew. So he was, you know, he raised his children that way. And then he raised his grandchildren that way. And everything was through fear and intimidation. Where my grandmother, God bless her soul, was the sweetest woman ever. She was just the sweetest, kindest. She was always there for me. Did always. she know what was going on? Yes. Yes. Did she 
Did she was she there. Like- she was on the set with me. Like she would, they would take me from my mother because my mother was very irrational and you know psychotic. I mean, she she wasn't rational. So if I was going to get to set on time or if I was going to get to work every day, you know, there had to be somebody responsible behind the ship, you know, so they would take over and I would go stay with my grandparents for months at a time or sometimes years at a time. And they would be the ones taking me to the set every day and they'd be taking me to my auditions every day and they'd be doing all that stuff. Not because they wanted to, not because they necessarily agreed with it, but because they knew that was the only way to keep her happy because if she didn't see that happening, then she would take me back and then I would be having to, you know, be forced to live there. And by, by the way, there were little brothers and sisters running around. So I was also the dad and I was the caretaker. Yeah, my dad left at point? eight. My dad left at eight. So like, I was literally raising two babies, feeding them, diapering them, doing all that stuff at eight years old. Yeah, this is why. Because I just went through stuff where I just, you know, I talk about it openly. I went to a wellness center and was like, I'm going to take fucking care of myself. And it was the first time I ever felt safe. But you hear all these things and we did this thing called EMDR, which I talked about, which is like, you know, it's post-traumatic stress disorder. Like when people suffer from that, there's this thing that they can do that helps. And I was like, ah, you know, veterans see horrible shit. I'm not worthy of of even looking into my life because people that's, have had it that, so that's I know BS, though. That's BS. I know it's BS, but I had to learn that your problems are your problems and they're real and you right. cannot neglect them because it'll affect you physiologically, mentally. It's just debilitating. And right. so I, it was the first time, dude, I, I was, I cried for like three weeks and I never cry. Mm. I'm always like the leader of my gang. I was right. like, Hey, I'm right. organizing this. Tough hey, guy. I'm the tough, tough guy. guy. Yeah. And all of a sudden I'm falling apart and it's like, and I just wanted to keep crying. I wanted to feel more and more because I felt like a human being. Yeah. Cause you were opening it up finally. Yeah. yeah. And, and it took, dude, I'm 47 years old. It's so healthy. When did it happen for you? It's when so did, after all this shit, by the way, did your grandmother, did she ever step in? Did anybody ever step in and say, you're not doing this anymore? No. No one ever just jumped in and said, I see what's happening and it's over. No, God, no. Mm-mm. Did you want them? Obviously, you wanted them to. I, all I wanted was love. All I wanted was to be loved. So it was enough for your grandmother. Go, I would go to my, my grandmother was sweet, but she wasn't my mom and she wasn't my dad. She was a surrogate. So I would go over to my cousins. My cousin and I were best friends. We were the same age. And he had a great family until his mom died of cancer. At 11. So when I would go over there before 11, I would lay there in bed and I would watch him getting tucked in and I would just lay there crying because I was just like, I want that so bad. I want that feeling of, you know, that connection. And I just, it was not available to me ever. Like my, just, it never happened. My mom never said she loved me. The only time she ever said she loved me was after she finished beating me you know, like, let me know that it was over and that, you know, it was okay. You know, because she would beat me up and then she would be like, you know, I love you though. <laughs> you know, and that really I mean, worked kind of way. I mean, how does that fuck you up? Right, right. So you could imagine I could be severely damaged goods. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I don't know how you honestly, how you could even get past that. Like, I, I don't know. Like, you hear about these stories, but you don't, people don't know, especially like in the 80s and 90s and all of a sudden, he's on drugs and he's doing this. Right. And he's, he's all you hear well, is like, oh my goes, God, that guy fell apart. But if they knew the shit that you went well, through. Well, yeah, but here's the other thing. Why does every child star end up derailed? 
You don't think there's some kind of a coincidence here? Think about it real deep. How many child stars go on to have illustrious careers and be given carte blanche as adults, no matter how talented they are, no matter how much they achieve? Every single one gets shut down unless they've been protected by someone. So you've got very few examples. Drew Barrymore. Well, she was protected by Spielberg. He kept her under his wing like a dad. Wow. Because she needed it because she didn't have a dad in the world. So he became that surrogate father for her. And guess what? Nobody was going to mess with Drew because it was Stephen's little girl. So there's people that get protected. And once they're protected, people don't touch him. Hands off. And those are the lucky ones. Those are the lucky ones. But everybody else... Falls by the wayside. It's not just falls by the wayside. It's intentional. This is an intentional thing that has been going on for almost a century in this business. Okay? Like, we can go back to Tatum O'Neill. We can go back even further. We can go to uh, uh, Shirley Temple. So are you saying pretty much don't let anybody act? At a young age until they're I adult? Wouldn't, I wouldn't let my like, kid so know. Parents, nobody acts until they're 18. Well, look, that's. I mean, there's got to be, there's there's, there's, be there's, some there's, good there's, people there's, out there's, there. There's art, right? And art has to imitate life. So at some point, you need child actors to portray those functions. Right. Okay. But that said, we don't need to put them on pedestals and we don't need to make them so famous that there's no taking it back because that's the sin. The sin is making a child so famous that they don't have a a choice in life that they can never go and live a normal life. They don't have that option because they'll be humiliated. The second a movie star goes and tries to work at a regular job, what do you think happens to that person? Besides the shame and the humility that you feel as a loser, I'm actually trying to think of other, other haven't succeeded. Yeah. But on top of it, you've got people in there, razzing you and going like oh my god what a loser what are you doing here you know what i mean so you have to put that into perspective it's, not, it's when, impossible it when, sounds impossible if the work dries up you're done that's it the fact that i'm still here the fact that i'm still working the fact that i still have a good financial you know life and and resources and and i'm active and and do movies every year and all this kind of stuff i mean it's it, it's one in a million Inside of You is brought to you by Rocket Money. I love Rocket Money. You know why? Because everyone should have Rocket Money because it just helps you save money. How many times do we have subscriptions that we don't even know we have anymore and we're paying so much money? It's just throwing away money, Ryan. I, I found one. You And you did it. You told I me. I got Rocket Money. <laughs> I, I found one. It. I'm embarrassed to say how long it's been going on, but thank you for finding it. <laughs> My God. It was embarrassing. <laughs> yeah, because it's like you want to watch some show and you go, oh, I have to subscribe to this uh, this streaming dev- uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. And you, you start streaming the show, you watch it, you leave, and you forget after this trial period it kicks in and they're it's charging terrible. you 10 bucks a month. It's, it is embarrassing. Ugh. You know, 75% of people have subscriptions they've forgotten about. Before I started using Rocket Money, I thought I had, you know, like, oh, I have like five subscriptions. I could not believe it when they showed me I was paying for like four extra uh, between, you know, streaming advices and fitness apps, delivery services. It's never ending. And thanks to Rocket Money, I'm no longer wasting money on the ones I forgot about. 
Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with the customer service for you. I like that. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash inside. That's rocketmoney.com slash inside. Rocketmoney.com slash inside. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I don't know how many times I have to talk about this, but it's so important. If you're sitting there right now and you're stressed or you're anxious or you have a lot on your mind and you just bottle it up and you don't know what to do, it's going to come out and it's not going to come out in great ways all the time. Um, BetterHelp has helped me substantially. Ryan here has been using it for a while. And I, you know, don't you notice when you don't use BetterHelp? When you don't have therapy? Oh, the weeks where I miss a session? Of course, yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's 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 like the more you talk about something, even if you don't think you have anything to talk about, things come up and it puts your mind at ease. And we all carry around different stressors, you know, big and small. And at times we keep carrying them around rather than processing them and letting them go. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. Therapy from BetterHelp is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. It's for all of us. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. I think people think, oh, what if I don't like my therapist? If you don't, you switch them. It's that easy. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com inside today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash inside you know you know what i what i notice about you when i watch the band when i see you get on tv when i see you know you wrote a book there's there's almost like no fear Mm. inside you in a way in a way i'm sure you have fears Mm -hmm. but i i think gosh man i the guy just whether you like him whether you don't whether you like what he says whether you don't you say what you want to say. Well, the problem is people don't really know what I'm saying because my voice has been so filtered and edited and changed. Sure, because I the watched years. the Matt Lauer, which was completely ironic after what happened with Matt Lauer. Right, exactly. Um, but exactly. I watch it. And but you, that's, funny you should say but, that. But that's the way it happens. Barbara Walters, Matt Lauer. Because they let you speak, but then they start saying, well, why do you need $10 million? Right? I've seen a right, ton right, of people. Why right, do you need $10 million? Right. right. You want to make a film? How, how do you make it? Well, you can make an independent movie. And you're like, well, that no one sees. Right. I want people to see this. Or, or how director, about so. I want to make it crappy and I wanted to have no sets and no costumes and no great actors. And you know, sure, you can make it for a million dollars, but is it going to be any good? Not to tell the movie that I'm trying to tell. I mean, you're talking about rebuilding Goonie sets. You're talking about rebuilding Michael Jackson's house. You're talking about, you know what I mean? These are massive production days. Massive right. production days. You can't do that movie right. If you had a movie to describe, the right money behind it. Period. Right, and your and the movie that's in your head. What 
would that movie be like? For instance, well, you have to read I, the book. If, I, I'm I'm just saying. Yeah, it's the book. Right, but what would you compare it to that a movie that's been made? Not not comparable to whatever, but like if you think of a movie. Okay, my mom used to make us watch Mommy Dearest. Oh yeah, and she thought it was really funny. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So she would sit there and she would say, you know, she would make me and my sister call her mommy dearest because she thought it was funny. And she would tell us how easy they had it. She'd be like, look at this. This is a joke. People think this is abuse. This is a joke. Because she knew that what she was doing to us was so much worse. So much worse. How you didn't turn to be out to be like the Mendendez brothers and your <laughs> sister get together and kill your mother. I, I, I don't know how you didn't do that. Well, because I remember there was. Yeah, go ahead. Because I have love in my heart. So the point is, it's all about forgiveness, it's all about empathy, and it's all about love. And unfortunately, I'm one of those guys that just wears my heart on my sleeve. And I just, I give people chance after chance after chance to try and save them. Like who? Whatever it takes to save them. Anybody, from my parents to my girlfriends to, you know, people that screwed me over. I was cheated on 18 times in a row. 18 different relationships. Imagine that. So you're finally away from your abuse and you're trying to move on with your life and find real love. And then every girl you fall in love with cheats on you and breaks your heart. So I went through that too. I mean, how do you have, I mean, trust issues. Do you go, do you go to therapy? I go to therapy. Oh, well, I did for many years. Yeah. Have you ever tried cognitive behavioral therapy or have you no, worked on? I don't need it now. I'm good. I'm happy. I'm, I'm a very happy person. And I have a very happy life, and I have a beautiful family. So I don't have anything. I have no regrets. Um, but that said, it was hell. I made it through hell, and I'm on the other side of it. So there's nothing anybody can do to me anymore. There's nothing anybody can say about me. There's nothing anybody can do to me that's going to make me feel less than I already do or I already have. So... <laughs> Once you get Damn to that, it, Corey. once you get to that point, it's all about love and it's all about forgiveness and it's all about self healing. Because if you don't look inward and you don't heal yourself from the inside out, you're never going to make it. There's no way. What do you tell? What do you tell fans like when you're at these cons and uh, you're at a Q and A and they say, "Tell us about the time on Goonies. Do you um, remember fun times?" Yeah, sure. Do you remember, oh, my God, and then yeah, this happened, and yeah. Sean I mean, did this? When Sean and Key and I are up there, and we're telling our old stories and stuff, it's great. What's the yeah. best? What's the story that you haven't told? Are there any oh, stories that you haven't told on no. Goonies? You've told them all. Of course. Come on. I mean, it really, you really have told them all. Of course. By the way, did you ever see Steven Spielberg flip out? No. Then when I ever asked you that? Never. Never once? No. Never raised his voice? Never once. How do you not flip out one time? He's, I mean, he's, you know, a genius, obviously. Yeah, but, but geniuses flip but out. Because when you got, you know, $50 million to play with and, you know, the, you make the schedule and nobody's going to shut you down because you're Steven Spielberg, right? So you go over budget, you go over schedule, nobody cares, right? It's just carte blanche. But didn't you want to hear once? Don't you wish you had the memory of hearing junk? Cut it out! Oh, I'm sure I heard that plenty. <laughs> there was plenty of that, but that was coming from Richard Donner, not from Steven. Donner was doing the yeller? Donner was the yeller, yeah. Was Donner a yeller? Oh, yeah. What's Are the What's kidding? the biggest yell you remember of his? The biggest meltdown Donner did? Um, He didn't really <laughs> melt down. He just was always in command 
always authoritative. Did he ever yell at you? Of course. <laughs> Did it make you upset? There was one time he made me cry. Mm-hmm. What what happened? Uh, he was just being really really intense one day, and he was just screaming at us. And I think it was I think it was on the Goonie on the on the pirate scene when we're up on the deck. Something to do with you know maybe when I was putting the jewels in my mouth or somewhere somewhere around there. And it was just a really intense day, and I remember him just flipping out and just like screaming and I was so sensitive and I had a great love and respect for him. So it would be like, Whoa, where is this coming from? You know, why are you, why are you taking this Did out? Did you say me? that? Well, probably not. I was 12, but you know, in, in a 12 year old version of it. And he, you know, he had to, he had to own it. He had to sit down and say, you know, I'm sorry, kid. I didn't mean it, you know. And you cried right in front of him. Yeah. In front of everybody. Well, I think we had a private talk. I think it was just him and I. And the same thing happened with Rob Reiner. Same thing happened with Joel Schumacher. Same thing happened with most directors because they get insane and they get crazy and there's a bunch of kids running around. They want to choke them. But at the end of the day, they can't because they're doing a job and we're all doing a job, right? And I think that that's that's real love somehow. You know, that passion for... You both share this passion for the art and you want it to be amazing. Were you incorrigible? No. Were you, were you sort of, because I, I was, there was shit I did as a kid that I, I mean, I probably, you know, I got paddled as a kid and I got, right. there was a lot of shit, man. Well, here's I, the thing. I was fucked up, but here's the thing. I mean, obviously if you're coming from a place of like no love and you're getting abused all the time and you're a slave and all of these things and you have no freedoms, of course you're going to have some sort of outward, you know, expulsion. It's just natural. It's a natural recourse. It has to happen, right? It's like a, a simmering point, you know, of a brew. You just, you know, it's got to let off the steam. So, yes, I was wild and crazy and would, you know, talk in class and get in trouble all the time. All that stuff. All the, all the you know, telltale signs of right. an abused child that's trying to reach out for help. Did you have ADD? No. You really didn't? No. No ADD? No ADHD? No. I got a little of that. No. I'm a focused dude. I am a very focused Even dude. Even from being a kid. Like, I guess they didn't, maybe they didn't have that then. They had it. I remember hearing about kids that were on Ritalin. My mom used to make me take speed pills. Same kind of thing. Okay, that's, that is the same. Yeah, because I was a, you know, chubby kid, right? I don't remember you being fat or I was never I was never fat. Overweight. I was never that. I just don't remember that. But but I had like a baby fat, right? And so she would say, like, Oh, you're gonna be fat. You're you're fat, so you're a pig, you're this, you're that, and I would have to Did the director ever like in front of you say, This kid is really fucking talented in his own way, right in front of your mom. Did your mom ever look at you and go, I'm proud of you, you were great. <laughs> no. Not one not time. Once. That's no. I know. Isn't that fucking something when you just can't you can get all the abuse in the world, you can get told you're stupid or you're bad or this, but not one time in all those movies where you were great, you weren't good, you were great. I yeah. thought. Yeah. Did you know it? Did you know you were good? No. You never felt like I'm good? Mm-mm. Well then how did you go on set? Were you nervous on set? No. Doing lines? No. I knew I, I knew I was good, meaning like I knew that this is just who I am. There's no you don't think about it. It's second nature. It's like breathing. It's like putting on your pants. You just do your job. You never got nervous. Was there one never. scene ever in your career that you go, no. I can't do this right now. The camera's moving in. I got 35 mils never. coming right at me. It's so <laughs> close to my face. And action. Never. 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 Even now? No. You, you got it. Yeah. That's what I do.
I mean, that's amazing. What I'm hearing is... I've done over 100 films, man. Yeah, I know, <laughs> but know to I'm never saying? get like, nervous, to always have... I get nervous all the time. I'd have speeches, I mean, and I'd be like, fuck, you guys have to get that close? You know when I get nervous? I get nervous the first time I go out on stage for a live audience for to perform my music. That makes me nervous. Or if it's like a sitcom-type situation and we're doing it live in front of an audience... Then I might get nervous, like, oh, God, I don't want to miss a line or, you know, mess up or be the one to ruin the scene or whatever, you know, that that kind of thing. And I remember Robin Williams telling me, you know, about the butterflies in my stomach because he would say, you get the butterflies as we were standing, you know, backstage before going out together. And he'd say, do you get the butterflies? And I said, uh, what does butterflies mean? And he goes, well, it means like you feel all weird in your stomach you know and you feel like uh like really nervous or like you know like you're you're worried about what they're gonna think of you and i said yeah i guess i feel that way do you feel that way and he goes i feel that way every time i go out and i said really and he said yeah and i said okay well then i guess i could feel that way too and that's okay so i allowed myself to feel that like anxiety Oh, God, so Robin ruined you? <laughs> Why <laughs> no, the fuck but, would he tell you that? No, but he, he let me know that it was okay to feel. Anything. Right, exactly. And so I said, okay, well, then then I'll feel that, you know? And then I remember getting nervous with him and sitting there, you know, before we'd go out and getting all hyped up and, you know, like, okay, let's do it, let's do it, you know? Yeah. And that was fun. This It's, it's crazy because you don't talk about yourself in a sense that all the abuse, all the horror... I don't hear you breaking down and crying about that, except you said, you know, sometimes you'd watch your friend while he slept and he was tucked into his bed. And Oh, when I was a kid. When yeah. you were a kid. Yeah, yeah. But now as an adult, you're yeah. very mindful and present about everything around you. Right. Yeah. Because look at what, what I've been through. I don't wish it on anybody, but I don't regret anything, even all the pain, even all the trauma, because it's helped mold me into the person that I am today. And I'm pretty proud of the person I am today because I'm doing important work. I just want to be able to fulfill that work. I want to be able to help as many people as possible. There's no ego in it for me. I don't care about that stuff. I really don't. I really don't. And that's why I say all the stuff I did as a kid was great, but it was a job. When I work now, when I do work as an actor, I do it because I want to. I do it because I... I have something to bring to the table. You enjoy acting still? I love it. Love it. Love it. You love learning lines. You're still good with learning lines? Oh, I don't even... Yeah, it's, it's, I'm, a, I'm a different beast. Do you have a photographic memory? Yes. You really do? Yes. Yes. So... Fuck you. Yeah. Well, hey, you start training your brain at three years old, getting locked in a room and not being able to do anything other than you can't come out until you have every word of this page memorized frontwards and backwards. That was the words I was told. Frontwards and backwards. If you can't say it backwards, then you're not done. How long would it take you to learn three pages of lines? Two minutes. If I gave you something, you could probably learn it. Not that you'd have to do it right I would give you my version of it. That's how I do it. But like, what if somebody wanted so it direct? Like, If it's word for word direct, then maybe an extra 10 minutes. That's it. Yeah. You don't stress over it. No. You don't freak out over it. No. You own it and you're done. Mm. Yeah. Photographic memory. Do you, that's rare. Well, you know, look here at the end of the day, here's what it does. Anybody can train themselves, to be honest, to do this. It's about before you go to bed at night is when you should read your script. Don't, Why is that? Because it's the last thing you have on your mind 
before you go to bed. So it sits on your subconscious and it plays like a tape over and over and over, right? So you go to bed with it on your mind, you wake up with it on your mind. First thing in the morning, I'll be... So right before you go to bed, you're getting tired, you sit there for 20, 30 minutes, you read over your lines, and you wake up and they're kind of... I don't just read over them. I will go block out the line before me and then I will read just the line before me and make sure I can't see any of the words for the next line. And I'll be like, okay, this is the line before me. I got to know my cues. So I'll read the line before me and then I'll expect myself to read it back verbatim. And if I don't, then I keep going over it and over it and over it until I've got it. But like I said, that process is diminished through the years because now it's just like, you know, so I literally will look at a page three, four times and that's it. And I come in the next day and I go, I need to make a couple changes here or there, you know, like I want to try this or I want to try that or da, 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 da. And they're like, okay. And they think I spent, you know, weeks just studying and, you know, You're but like, no, no, I don't like it that way. I, I mean, to me, it's like I become the character. I don't play the character. I become the character. So when I'm on a set and I'm playing a serious heavy-duty role, like I just did this movie called Corbin Nash, which is my most recent film that's come out, where I play a transsexual vampire. You're in drag every day? Yes, 24-7. Like from the moment I get to set and I start putting on the makeup, you don't see Corey. Corey does not come back Do you have until an the end of the day. Yeah, whatever it is. I'm just saying whatever it is, I personify that person. So when I'm... When I become the character, I don't break the character. And that's not all the time. Like if it's like a regular character, then I'm, you know, right. whatever. We have our conversation and then, you know, okay, action. And, you know, I'll be joking one minute and then go right into the scene. That's fine. But if it's a character that is a huge departure where I have to really make sure that it's real, that it's believable, that this is, this is a real person... I can't allow myself the um, opportunity to veer off in some way because all of a sudden, like, you know, you're not thinking like the character thinks and then you're in this makeup, you're in this prosthetic, you're in all this stuff and then you don't think the way the character thinks and it's immediately noticeable, right? Mm -hmm. So to keep it true to form and to keep it virtuous, I just keep that character all day long. Do you ever get moody? Sure, of course. You ever say, we come on, do. let's go. What are we doing? Oh, of course. Come on. Of course, right? Yeah. You got to get moody. We all do. Do you, say, you ever say, hey, uh, it's 10 o'clock. You guys got 10 minutes here. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not like no, that. I've seen things. Yeah, I'm just not that guy. Look at I'm always happy to stay as long as I need to stay. I'm always happy to... What's the most fun? You now, had? when people are like, you know, hey, wave this, wave that, wave this, you know, yeah, know. That, that business is business. You go and Donner I'm going to stand up. Donner. Definitely never Schumacher. Okay. You never want to go Schu- Dick Donner. You never want to go Schumacher. Schumacher gets- Schumacher is louder than Donner. Come on. Oh, yeah. What, what is the worst thing you ever heard Schumacher say? Well, I saw him smack an actor in the face. He smacked an actor in the face. Yes. Who? Brooke McCarter. Smacked him in the face. Yeah. And no one said a word. No. Did he do it because he's like, I'm going to get you in the moment? Yep. But he didn't tell him. Right. May I smack you? No, no, no. It was like, give me it. Give me it. Give me it. You're not getting it. I'm not getting it. I'm not getting it. Be scared. Bam. You know, like that. And it worked? No, it didn't work. He was. 
Was yeah. he pissed? Beyond pissed. Yeah, it was a bad day. Did, did anybody day. on set like nowadays? That, that won't, you won't. That won't. It would have never gone. Yeah, no. But this no one was, said a word. This was Joel 80s. Schumacher. This was the eighties. Yeah. So you saw all sorts of shit. Oh yeah. Talk about women getting harassed. It was probably. I mean, everybody, did people just do what they wanted? Everybody. Yeah. It was crazy. It was just a complete lack of respect. Free for all. Total lack of respect. Casting couch. No all that stuff. Drugs everywhere. Um, you know, I only did drugs for two years of my life, man. That was it. That was it. So well, the worst again, time of your, one stigma, of the worst, yeah. stigma, stigma, you know, right. People have this, you know, they like to say, Oh, Corey Feldman, bad boy. Yeah, you have to, you think Corey Feldman, you're like, Oh, he probably did drugs for his whole life. Right. Party animal. Right. That's what people think. Right. Why do they think that? Because why? they believe everything they hear. No. Why? Why is that condition out there? Because it's just like people want something to say. They want no, something to talk about. Michael, no. Talk to me. No. It's, it's so much deeper than that. It's a very specific thing, okay? They do not want you to grow up and have a voice. They do not want you to be able to have credibility and be taken seriously when you start reflecting on the things that you experienced. Mm. What year did you start acting? Probably college, really. Okay. Uh, 90, so you were too 91. old. You were too old. But if you were a kid in this business, I guarantee you these words would have been said to you at some point. Stay away from that guy. He's a creep. Because we all heard it. Every kid that ever walked onto his set was told that about somebody at some point. Stay away from that guy. He's a creep. He, he can't be trusted with children around. And then you would go, uh, okay. But he comes right over to me and starts being friendly and he's on the set and he seems like a really nice guy. So why are they being so weird about him? That's how it happens. But now you've been warned, right? So it's at your own discretion. So everybody looks the other way. This is the way we're trained. So what happens is, and every kid actor and their parents have had some form of this. Some form, whether it's stay away from that guy or whether it's somebody did something to me that was inappropriate, what should I do? And the agent says, well, this is very serious and we do need to take care of this right now. So what we're going to do is we're going to have to file a production report and then we're going to have to, you know, call SAG and we're going to have to call the Directors Guild. And we're going to have to call the Producers Guild. We're going to have to file reports with all of them. We're going to have to file a police report. We're going to have to do all these things the proper way. But... Just understand that before we do all that, the second I start making those phone calls, this production is going to get shut down. And your reputation will be known forever as the kid that shut down this movie or this TV series. So good luck getting work again because you're forever going to be scarred as being that kid that ruined this movie or that shut down this job so that Same all of these people women. lost jobs. Same thing with females. Of course. It's called intimidation. He hit on you? He harassed you? Yeah, well, if you talk about it, you'll never work again. Right. So this is how it happens. This is how it works. And so once they turn 18, it's like, drug problem? Yep, yep, yep. Look at that. He's a drug addict. He's a drug addict. See, he's a drug addict. What a waste of life. Don't listen to that kid. He's fucked up. But that's all bullshit. Because the truth of the matter is, why aren't you there reaching out to help this kid? Why aren't you lifting them up? Why aren't you bringing them back? 
Why aren't you making sure that they're welcomed with open arms? I got sober after two years, and still today, people call me a cokehead. You see what I'm saying? Two years. 30 years, man. 30 years since I've done hard drugs. 30 years since I drank. 30 years since you've drank. Right. You don't drink. That's how fucked up the perception is. That's incredibly fucked up. Because I think if you ask people that didn't know, even my listeners, and they took a poll. Right. And they said, these actors or whatever, Corey Feldman, has he drank A, two years, B, 10 years, C, his whole life. None of them would take two years. Right. Right? Right. Perception. And, well, there's one more big truth. I've never done anything that anybody can ever go back and go, what about that time you took advantage of that girl? Or what about the time you took advantage of that kid? Or what about the time that you screwed that guy over? Or what about the time that you got money when you shouldn't have? Nothing. My morality book is 100. Like, I don't have anything in my consciousness that I cannot say I've owned, I've dealt with, I've made amends, and it's over. But there's nothing that I feel remorseful about, so there's nothing that they can use against me. All they can do is perpetuate lies and rumors because there's no fact. There's nothing solid that they could ever say that would denounce the things that I'm talking about. I mean, so you're a survivor, obviously. Let's just call it what it is. I mean, right. well, we have, we all are survivors, right? We have to, we have no choice. Some of us have it easier. Some of us have it harder, but at the end of the day, we're all in the game together. What do you, you know, I'm going to ask you just a couple more questions because this has been pretty fascinating Mm because it's kind of like, you know, I don't know. I feel like I'm getting the floodgates were open, right? Well, (laughs) floodgates have opened, but it's not about, you know, sensationalism. Yeah. I didn't want to do any of that. It's like, you know, I met you at a con, you were friendly and sweet. And I was like, you know, and I loved, loved your work. And I'm like, what the fuck? This is, this is my podcast. Let's, let's have a conversation, talk real shit, you Mm -hmm. know? And that's, that's what I want. And this is exactly what it is. And, and I think people are going to, just really love this. I love this. I hope I'm, so. I'm glad you're here. And Courtney, I'm glad you're here. I, I, I hope it's educational. It, it absolutely and, is. And I want, I just want people to understand fake news is real, but it's not the fake news that the president talks about. <laughs> it's the opposite. Let me ask you this. A couple of questions. You can just be quick about it because I have to ask a couple of questions because I loved Corey Haim. I loved him. I thought he was great. I loved everything he did. Mm. Were you, I mean, when you heard the news, was it something that big part of you wasn't surprised when I heard the news he was supposed to be going to my dentist appointment that morning that's how close we were your dentist appointment right because he called me two days before and said he had a tooth infection and that he was in pain and he said you know I can't get an appointment is there any way you could help me and I said well I actually have an appointment Wednesday morning so I'll, you know, forego my appointment. You can have my appointment. And so that morning, my assistant left my house to go pick him up because he didn't have a vehicle. And she went to go pick him up to take him to my dentist. And on her way there, she heard it on the radio. And I woke up to Sean's text. Sean had already hit me up at like 530 in the morning. And I'm not an early riser, so I normally don't get up till 11. But I, you know, 8 o'clock in the morning, I'm like getting woken up with all these things blowing up. And all of a sudden, my brother's banging on the door. And he's like, 
hey man, you know, your brother's dead. I mean, how hard did that hit you? How long did how long did it take to I mean, probably still, you know, you never get over it. You learn to live with it. Right. It's family. It's family. But it's more than family. It's the fact that I didn't know anything about this stuff, right? He put it in my head. He's the one who introduced me to it all. He's the one who told me about his rape. He's the one who told me all of this the first day that I met him. Because he needed something solid enough to know that he had a human being that cared about him as a human being. The first day you met Corey Haim, he tells you these things. Yeah. And that changed my life forever. Because once I had that information, now I had the same target on my head. And I've had to hold that for 30 years. And that's why when this movie is done, this documentary comes out, and my entire truth can be told. It will be not only cathartic, but it's a gift to him because this is all he ever wanted was his truth to be told. What's the what's the one thing you remember him that make, just makes you smile when you want to think of like the great things? Oh, like God. what's the nobody what, can make me laugh like he did. What was it about him that made just, you laugh so he's hard? He's just genius. He was a genius. Just comic timing. We just when we would get together. We would have each other crying, you know what I mean, and laughter so hard. Like when we when we got back together to do the two Corys, the TV show. Um, the first six months, he was great. He was sober. He was sharp. He was on it, and it was the funniest work we did ever together. So good, and it was all improv, but so good. Like we'd write the scenes. We'd say, "Okay, this is this this is the structure. This is the storyline for the week. This is the episode," and then we'd work within that you know structure, and then everything else would be improvised. We would have the crew laughing so hard that they couldn't hold their cameras up. And, and the director, the Jeff Shoot. Everybody, they just, they were just, just losing it. You know, I mean, it was just like, it was so funny. But the problem was we weren't, they didn't want a comedy. We wanted a comedy. Right. They didn't want a comedy. They wanted sensational. Right. right. They wanted to put us further down the rabbit hole. That's all they ever want is to put us further down the rabbit hole. <clears throat> so with that said, we were producing. So they couldn't, they couldn't get us this time. Right. They couldn't, they couldn't screw us over. You made the decisions. Right. Until Corey screwed up because once he started relapsing and using on TV and everybody could see him drooling on himself, it's kind of hard to cover that up. Did you ever get mad at him and say, what the fuck are you doing? Are dude? you kidding? <laughs> did you see the show? Yeah, I did see the I, I just don't remember exactly. Like, oh, yeah. No, it it's got, been years. It, it, got ended, it was like 2007? 2009. 2009. It got ugly. I mean, it started off as a comedy, as a loosely scripted comedy. That was the whole point, to look like a reality show. It wasn't real. We were shooting in Vancouver, pretending it was L.A., in a house that was a rented house that was supposed right. to be my house. I mean, none of it was real. It was all scripted until he would forget that we were doing a bit. And then all of a sudden, he'd start fighting with me for real in the middle of a scene. Did you guys have a fist fight? Oh, yeah. Of course. Like you were physical with each other. Of course. Did you, did you have a rule, no faces? No. When You know brothers, man. When brothers get at it, that's well, we it. Never, I never punched my brother. In the face. I wanted to. Oh, well, man. you got a better family than so I you, did. You guys Me had... and my real brother have gotten fisticuffs, you know, so. Who would win? You did. You took him down. Did you know when to stop? Like, leave this guy alone. Well, here was the thing, is that, like, okay, so 
I didn't know my own strength a lot of times because I would, you know, go through these phases where I'd be working out a lot. And he never really went through that. Like he, he would, you know, get fit. I mean, he'd lose like 300 pounds playing racquetball or, you know, tennis or rollerblading or whatever. However he would do it, he would find a way to do it. Night frisbee. That was his big thing. He liked the glow in the dark frisbee. Um, but that was his secret to losing th- hundreds of pounds, you know, crazy. Right. But he would do you it. left it. He liked to play some sports or like whatever, whatever. Right. Right. So we were doing a scene in blown away and it's a choreographed fight scene. And it's like, I hit him and you know, whatever. And then he hits me back and we jump on top of each other, whatever. Um, and so we were like rehearsing it and he like brought his face in oh, too close one day. You know, and I hit him by accident. And to me, I was just, it was like a barely like, you know. A graze. Yeah, a graze. And he went flipping back behind the couch. He literally like did a backflip. Did you feel horrible? Terrible. But he came after me like, you did that on purpose. You're doing You know, and and that was. That was a tough day on set. But again, he already knew what I did not trying. You know what I'm saying? So it's like as much as he would get in my face and mess with me, he also knew that you didn't want to push it past a certain point. How much do you love your music? I love it. How much do you love playing in front of people? Love it. You got one of the angels? <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Courtney? Former. Yeah, former sure. angel. Former angel. I, look, I know you love music, and you're, you are fearless. When I watch you, you just get up there, and you just – you're you, dude. You fucking get up there, and whatever you want to do in the – it, there's like no i don't see any fear no it's it's great like i you know i always How can have you perform with fear you can pretend no i'm scared shitless but i'm gonna come on i've, I've worked like fear-based and then once i get into it sometimes i'm like a little better but you know i mean yeah but you just look you when you're use up there. it you're using it you're still using it i guess so yeah do you do you keep performing how many albums have you done three I'll never stop three albums i'll never stop i've done six albums six albums yeah and I'm working on a box set right now. Very exciting project. What comes in the box set? Are you gonna have oh like little God, like little so books, good. little things that no so one good. would have? It's gonna be so good. We're we're putting out it's it's a box set for my first album. So my first album was called Love Left and it came out in the nineties, early nineties, like ninety three. But it had singles and music that was created in the eighties. And some of it was for my films. So I did music for Dream a Little Dream, Dream a Little Dream 2, Rock and Roll High School Forever. Those were my first three vehicles that I did music for. So we're putting out a Love Left 30th Anniversary Edition box set. And what we're doing is we took all the original masters and Don Dawkin (laughs) took them and baked them in an oven and then digitally transposed them and transferred them into digital, cleaned up the tapes meticulously, and then we're able to actually transpose them into a digital machine so that you can individually take the tracks and clean them and mix them again, like start from scratch, right? So we're taking all of the tracks from the original album, we're remixing and remastering it so it's up to date. Then we're taking songs that have never been released from that era, Like, for example, uh, my very first single was called Something in Your Eyes, and it was for the Dream a Little Dream soundtrack. Unfortunately, it never made it onto the soundtrack album, but it came out as a single under the soundtrack. 
So it was a vinyl single, but it was not actually connected to the album. So for the first time in history, we're going to digitally transfer it so that it can be available on iTunes or it can be available on, you know, whatever, right? You- All right. When is this coming out? All this. Come on. So badass. Just tell me when it's coming out. It's going to be like a little more than a year because I'm also trying to finish the documentary. Right. So you're doing yeah. the documentary. You got this album coming out, the right. box set. The box set. Of all crazy shit. So right. you gotta, by the way, what's your- And I'm going to be dropping a new single, the, the, the Mickey single. It's a completely modern version, a completely modern twist, like almost punk rock. And this guy's 70 years old. And I produced him. And I was like, dude, grab your balls. I want to hear you screaming. And he was like doing you're it? Like 25 years old. And he sounds so good. You're all right. You're, 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 dude. You're making me feel selfish now because I'm going to be like, Cora, can you please get Mickey Thomas on my podcast? Oh, yeah, I can. Would he do it? Oh, for sure. Dude, yeah. are you kidding me? I'd yeah. love to have him. I know all his songs. Yeah. He's a legend and he's such a gentleman. He's such a great man. He's such so a great dude. man. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. What's, what's your love Twitter handle, death. Instagram, all that shit? At Corey underscore Feldman. Blue check. <laughs> any, any cons coming up? And then as far as the Instagram is C Dog. C Dog. With a double G <laughs> twenty two. C Dog twenty two. And uh you know th- this has been a real treat. And I'm Corey, allowed I'm to use the double G too. because you know Snoop Dogg's on my last album. I was so. just gonna say that. Yeah, 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 I'm, yeah, al- yeah, I'm yeah. allowed. I'm Got allowed. It. Go part for of the it. dog. Go pound, for man. it. No. Go for it. Go yeah, for you it. Get yeah, it. Yeah. Fuck you. I know. Thanks. Well done. Well done. Well done, Michael. Um, you know, this has been a real treat. You know, I know a lot of people want to hear. You know, my friend Ethan was like, "You got to ask him about Goonies." Well, you told us a Goonies story. Yeah, you told us a little bit about things like that. By the way, all these movies were. There, was there any that was a surprise hit? Like this won't be a hit, and it became a hit. Did you, or did you all know? Of them. Oh no, did you know? I mean, all Goonies, them? we knew was going to be a hit. You knew it, of course. Yes, it's Steven Spielberg, Richard Donner. Of course, it was going to be. Did a they hit. pay you a lot of money to be no. in that? They didn't. No, nobody Terrible got paid money. for that shit. Terrible money. Good residuals. No, nothing. When you get paid small money, how are you going to have good residuals? Well, what was the biggest thing you got you know paid how it for? Works. The biggest money his you ever saw. Took all his money. Yeah, my yeah, parents they, they, took Didn't it you have like a million dollar thing, and there was like I 40... had a million dollars by the time I was fourteen years old. I went to the producer's pension, health and forty thousand, and I had forty. You're very good. You did your research. Yes. Yeah, I don't know why. Maybe I maybe I have photographic memory. Dog. Oh. D-double-O-G. Oh, little callback, buddy. Little callback. I mean, look, you, you, but you're an icon. I, you know, everybody knows Corey Feldman. Everybody, I mean, the movies well, you've they done. Think they do. That's true. That's really true. And know, look, you have a, the interpretation that they've been fed through the machine, right? But that yeah. doesn't mean that's me. But look, I love that you, you're going with your gut. You're trying to make the world a better place. Mm-hmm. I really feel like you're trying to do the right thing. You're, that's obvious. You're it's devoting your life do. to all these things. And, you know, it's really nice to see because, you know, um, I'm glad you came on. I'm glad Sean told you to do it. Yeah, I'm glad I came on, too. Thank yeah, you for this having has been me. really nice. Very and, nice. And you're a good interviewer. Well, thank you, I man. I like it. You know, you're an actor and you're, you're you know, jumping in the seat here and it's nice. So. You know, I thank you. It means yeah. a lot to me. And yeah. I'm just, I, you know, I, I just enjoy this. Yeah. I really enjoy, yeah, like, sitting tell. down and talking to people about their lives. Yeah, you're good at it. Well, I, I appreciate that. It, yeah. Well, if you know anybody else who wants to come on the podcast, Corey. Oh, well, I'm sure they'll probably be a, know a, a very people. long list. Yeah. Very long list of people who I'm sure would love the opportunity. What would you think? Did you think, oh, fuck. He's going to ask me about Michael Jackson. He's going to ask me about all this shit. No, I don't predetermine things like that. I don't, I don't. Really? You didn't think about. I don't go into things like that. No. If I didn't think it was going to be a cool situation, I wouldn't be here. Have you ever got. uh, Well, I appreciate that. It was a really cool situation. And and, and if it's a weird situation. Do you walk out? Yeah. Have you ever walked out? 
I either walk out or I'll just be like, I don't, not answering that. Sorry, not interested, whatever. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm not a shallow person. Have you ever said so something? I'm, I'm not going to sit here and talk about BS. I'm Who's the gonna... worst interview that ever interviewed? That you... oh when, when I say worst, the one, like, notable, that just, you were like, fuck this person. Nardwar the human serviette. Who's that? You know exactly. that, Ryan? Exactly. It's a, it's a underground, underground. He just was rude? Oh, awful. Disgusting. Why'd you do it? Didn't know. You get trapped. Did you feel that kind of anxiety you're getting, like, to get the fuck out of here? No, I was a phone interview. And you know how you just get that feeling that, like, somebody's mocking you and they're, you know, not taking your answers seriously. They're trying to get newsworthy things. Let's get a clip of Corey flipping that or Corey talking about this. He was the one who, who, I don't know if you'll remember this, this is way back in the 90s, but there was a huge controversy over it. Because he got me to say something off color about the fact that Gwyneth Paltrow and Matt Damon and Ben Affleck had all just won for uh, the uh, Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. There you go. Gwyneth Paltrow was in that. Well, Shakespeare in Love was the same year. Yeah, yeah, she's the same year. Oh, yeah. So they'd all just kind of, you know, become this thing. This was the new thing, and so he was asking me, you know, does it make you jealous? Does it make you upset that these people are all succeeding when you've worked so hard for this, and now you're watching all these other people kind of pass you by, and da 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 da. And he was just really trying to goat me for something. And I ended up falling for it in some way, said something that was not what I would normally say or not how I would What did you say? I, I don't remember Doesn't exactly. Doesn't matter. I don't remember exactly. I just remember that it was it was something that was off color, but then he twisted that and took it out of context and made it even worse than what I actually said. And it got to the point that like it was a huge press story and I had to write a public apology to Matt and um, Ben and uh, Gwyneth. And Gwyneth actually called me. This is how classy she is. She called me. We've never met. She called me and she left a voicemail on my answering machine saying, thank you so much for your letter. It was so sweet. I made sure to talk to the boys about it. Nobody's upset. We totally understand. You know, press does this stuff. So please don't worry. We love you. We respect you. That's classy. It's all good. Yeah. It made me feel a lot better. Well, I feel feel good that you were here. Today. Thank you, and thank you for uh, thank you again for doing this, Courtney. Thanks for sticking it out. The watermelon juice is done, though. Yeah, we we wiped it out. Yeah. We took it down. Who yeah. cooks? You obviously cook, right, Courtney? Because oh. you're a nutritionist. We both cook, yeah, but both do. do you ever give him shit like, oh, you know what? There's not enough cilantro there. <laughs> you ever do that shit? Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. She, no. she is hardcore, man. I... She's got her list of like shopping stuff that she's got to get every day, and you know she's a health coach, so. So I got appendicitis when I was 14 years old after getting like migraines and like digestive issues and stuff like that, where I had to get like an organ of my body removed. And I was terrified because I'm like, what the hell is going on with my body? This has never happened before. Like I got an inflamed appendix. I had to get emergency surgery after the surgery because it got a severe infection. And that was like my wake up call into I need to do something to like prevent yeah but it took another two decades before she met me and i said you got to go vegetarian and get off all those drugs (laughs) you're on a lot of drugs well she was on medication uh i got you i got you yeah that that an ex-boyfriend convinced her she needed to be on yeah none of it was true she was fine she didn't need any of it but 
I got to get you two on the other podcast with me and Chris Sullivan in love with Michael Rosamo and Chris Sullivan. It's just about couples and I'm single. He's married. I have my ex-girlfriend <laughs> on. Right. Going, why didn't it work? His, wa- right, his wife right. is on. You know, just it's it's it's, it's about it. being grateful and all this other yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, good. All right. Hey, thank you so much. Thanks for allowing God me bless inside you. of you, Corey. Thank, thank you. Thank, thank you. you man. Thank all right. You. And thanks for inviting us. Yeah. 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 Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did. And they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.